0: Hi, this is Derek Harp, the Founder and Chairman of CSA and the host of the CSA Podcast Show. And I've got another uh, great episode uh, with uh, in store for you today. I have Dave Solwyn, who is the VP of Embedded Systems at RunSafe Security Inc. And if you don't know Dave already, he is, uh, in addition to being a, a, a longtime contributor to cybersecurity, he's a father and a husband and a hiker and a skier and a tennis player. Uh, he's an avid reader and world traveler. Uh, Dave, thanks for uh, coming and joining me on the show.
1: Thank you. Great introduction. Some of it was true. Awesome.
0: (laughs) Uh, Well, let's let's peel back the onion layer that is Dave. uh, The layers, I guess. Um, I always uh, have the same shtick. I guess that superheroes, cyber cyber cybersecurity people are modern day superheroes, and all superheroes have a backstory. So where uh, where did uh, Dave uh, get created? (laughs) Not not all the way back. Where are you from?
1: So I was born in in Massachusetts, outside of Boston. Not sure you wanted to go that far back. Professionally, I've always been in technology, but not as the the coder, the technologist, but as uh, the person that helps the technologist have a bigger impact, help their project get funded, their product go to market, their business case get accepted inside the company kind of thing. Um, And that's that's really what I've been focused on in different technologies, and where I get just a lot of uh, enjoyment and uh, reward. Uh, working with super smart people.
0: And yeah. And them. Your your professional history, and there's been a lot of uh, you know interesting companies and one very recognizable companies uh, in, in some of your stops along the way. If you go all the way back though to to where you're from, you know, as a young person. Do you remember when technology uh, intersected, you know, an interest in technology or anything intersected your life?
1: Well, technology goes all the way back to when I was born. My dad is is one of those technologists. You know, he he was cutting edge of local area networks in the 1970s and 80s in the Boston area when Route 128 was the big competitor to, to Silicon Valley. And right. So that's that's where I grew up, you know wang and prime and digital and polaroid and and the mit culture for entrepreneurship is it's been part of the dinner table conversation for my entire life yeah it's it's was wonderful watching my dad do it you know i'm doing it differently right helping those really smart people to realize their dreams because it's to expect one person to have it all in their head oh i'm great at technology i've got vision Got a strategy and i can execute tactics that's awfully hard to, to get all in one person uh it really takes a team
0: well as a career entrepreneur who started my first cybersecurity company in 1997 i'd have to say you are absolutely right no one person can cover all the bases and anyone who pretends or masquerades that they are covering all the bases is uh fooling themselves or they were born on the planet krypton
1: <laughs> well, well and it's like
0: i mean here's just a very
1: in the weeds it feels trivial, but I think it makes the point. At at SAIC, I worked with a brilliant technologist, uh Steve Carson, PhD, you know, kind of person that DARPA wants to fund. Okay. He would not write the monthly report. He just just wouldn't do it. So I would write, you know, I would be involved in the program. So I could write ninety percent of it, give it to him, he'd finish it, and then we'd get it to the customer. Because you just you have to do the monthly report. It was in the contract. Uh, it wasn't hard to do, but in a in a, in a small way, uh, that was just one small way to help Steve have a bigger impact,
0: get more funding. Well, I know. Then one of the things I'm going to ask about that I always ask about, sort of teams and uh, relationships of people, and you know, is you're going to have some comments on that because uh, you're already sort of uh, headed in that direction. Let's get there. What do you decide to do for for schooling?
1: So for school, uh, finished undergrad. Uh, Went into a finance program at Digital Equipment, you know, 128, although digital, I don't know, (laughs) digital doesn't exist anymore, but Digital Equipment was headquartered in Maynard, Mass. And it was headquartered in an old shoe factory facility, this old mill on the river. And I don't know, it was crazy headquarters and iconic. But that was a finance development program modeled, I think, after these leadership development programs, they had a GE. I'm really, really going, dating myself, going way back. But I started in finance and kind of, again, team, human interaction. I mean, it's always about technology, but it's always about people. And so I had that three-year stint at, at digital, and then I went back to to school, to graduate school, to business school, uh, to MIT, uh, to the Sloan School. And, and, and that was my focus in there was about, organizational behavior and teamwork and leadership versus management and, and, and those dynamics. Uh, so, and, and that's where my formal schooling ended, uh, with that.
0: So, um, I think this is going to be interesting. I'm, I'm looking at, uh, you know, one of my goals for the show is diversity of guests and, um, you know, I, I suppose it's near and dear to my heart, you know, the enterprises, uh, especially startups, but early stage and younger and, and smaller companies and, uh, all the the companies supplying you know products to this space you know there's an ecosystem right and that that's a piece it's a piece I happen to you know hold dear to my heart but how people end up in these roles you know and the the criticality of, of sort of new offerings um, and so you're you're you've been sort of pivotal to a number of different companies in in getting to market and being being successful it's one thing to come up with a great product but then you've already sort of indicated so what if nobody if it doesn't get anywhere people don't see it, it, it you know doesn't grow
1: exactly invention versus innovation
0: exactly yeah. so what's the you know take us through there's you know I, I know there's there's PSI net and there's Orbcom, there's scoreboard gain wireless SAIC and you were at SAIC you, you did a big stint there and you oh, had yeah possibilities there
1: again I've always been with technology coming out of business school was with the small with with smaller and that was going great uh, I mean at PSINet, they were one of the first internet service providers, and we would release products with no pricing, just because it was just, it was just going that fast, and because some of the products weren't interesting, so you don't need pricing, because like only three people bought it up, so we released uh, products without pricing, Uh, my boss, Marty Shostal, one of the co-founders, you know, he would call, and he'd say, hey, uh, we got to meet at at 7 tomorrow, and you'd say, is that AM or PM? Because both were possible. Yeah. Um, and, and so it was, it was a really, uh, really dynamic technology environment and went to kind of a, a couple similar companies. Um, and then 2001, dot com telecom went away very quickly. And uh, again, you mentioned uh, some of these podcasts are to inform people earlier in their career. Just kind of, divert. you know, the network is important. Your network of people is important. You should build that network, contribute to that network, but also, you know, take from that network. But in 2001, if you and everyone you know doesn't have a job, like, it's kind of hard to work the network. So that was fairly disruptive. But the next chapter, instead of kind of small technology-oriented telecomy, was the SEIC and, and Raytheon. And through my wife's friend, I, I got to, to Steve Carson, with, you know, and, and the group he worked in SCIC. And, and it was so interesting. It was still about technology, still about smart people, still dynamic, but there was this whole new vocabulary, kill chain, <laughs> radar interference, electronic warfare, and targeting. And again, there was still very cutting edge technology, but different customer set, different mission set. Uh, different case studies but still technology and and right now you know with my move from Raytheon to runsafe this is sort of the third chapter but combines I think a lot of the best of the of the first two really happy to be back in a small dynamic company where where every employee you know we get all employees on the phone at the same time or the zoom or whatever we all understand what we're trying to do a lot of it is about Winning that next deal, growing the business, adding that new feature, and so get back in that that small environment, which I love. But still, one of our main customers, one of our main use cases, is weapon systems in the DoD, because those systems can't fail, and and that's the type of cybersecurity protection that Runsafe is focused on. Um, so that that pulls from that Raytheon and S A X C experience because. Again, a little shout out to to people thinking about their careers. Uh, skills are really cool, but I found understanding the industry is also a skill. You know, I understand the the DoD industry well. I understand less really the operational technology industry. I'm, I'm going to the conferences. I'm picking it up, but it, that's a, that's a that's a big learning area for me in this new role for sure.
0: Yeah, and and you've got application in that uh, with what you're currently doing. I know that you guys. Oh yeah. Yeah.
1: Because the other big use case, again, when systems that can't fail, systems that need protection, systems that can't be upgraded, you know, any they want to, operational technology, industrial control system, Schneider Electric, Rockwell Automation. I mean, those those are a second very strong use case uh, for the same reasons. Uh, we say the, we sell the same software into the DOD and into
0: commercial. Yeah. And you so your your journey for for defense is 20 years now.
1: I think you are correct. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I got out, I I got out of the internet in 95 cuz you know there was really nothing there. So
0: And so cybersecurity do you do you remember where that where that first cro- starts cropping up for you? So
1: in the DOD space primarily I was focused on electronic warfare which maybe it's worth an explanation because it doesn't sound like cyber, but it is. Okay. So electronic warfare is pretty specific to the DOD community, although radio interference is, is everywhere. And actually that's where I was before SASC, but electronic warfare, it's, you've got, you know, radars and, and radios and you're trying to kind of do all three of those elements. Uh, Electronic protection, you know, make sure that, that your device is working. Electronic surveillance, see what other devices are out there and electronic attack. And kind of electronic warfare, because its attack, you know, involves radios and radars, started to merge with cyber. That was a big debate, I guess, within the DoD community: Is electronic warfare and cyber separate or are they together? And, and I think the debate is over. They're together. I mean, you, you, you could start to not be able to distinguish them in the DoD community at a theoretical level. But the difference I see as I migrated from EW into, into really fiber in RunSafe is in the DoD community, partly because of this crazy barrier because of security things, the electronic attackers are very close to the electronic protectors, okay? And the best attackers make the best protectors in electronic warfare. That is the origin of RunSafe. Our technical leads were in cyber attack uh, for the US government before they came to RunSafe and they were in cyber protection defense. So, So that dynamic still works. But what I see in cyber is a much bigger gap between the attackers and the protectors. There's not, again, because to be an attacker is, outside of the U.S. government, often illegal. I mean, I guess they have pen testers and ethical hackers and stuff, but it's not, I, I don't get the sense it's such as, as big a a driver focus. And so I don't see it informing defense as much as I did in the UW community. and And then, you know, also the big difference with cyber defense is a lot of the defense is very reactive, whereas in, EW weapon systems, you want to be protection, not reaction. And so again, run safe aligns very well. Great attackers have gone to defense, and we focus on protection. But I'm um, again, I, I, this is maybe my newness to to really being immersed in cyber. The gap between the cyber attackers and the cyber defenders was bigger than I thought it would be, and and a lot of the cyber defenders, the focus on reaction is. I guess, okay, for some things, but not the approach to defense that I'm used to.
0: Yeah, I, I think that, you know, this, this theme of, of people who've been involved in various government activities, giving out into the commercial sector is, is, is one that's, you know, that that record is, is playing in other places as well. You get a lot of knowledge gained that way. You go back years enough, maybe that was one of the few places where you could gain knowledge in this this area, so that that, that makes sense, um, and the gap, uh, makes, you know, I think that's that's certainly anyone who's looking closely, that is the way it is, right? Um, sophistication of threat actors is high, and proliferation of them is high. There's more of them than ever. They're more sophisticated. They communicate with each other. They rent, you can rent or buy, uh, you know, technology that you might not be able to make yourself to be able to use. Uh, you know, in, in an attack, and so um, you know, we've got a lot of work, and I suppose that's a, why I find myself not doing business ventures anymore, but running a nonprofit workforce development association. We're short way too many people, and um, even more so inside OT or ICS. Now they need to be ultimately cross-domain experience. They need to have experience in more, more than one discipline, and that narrows the field even more. So um, you're right; there is there is a big gap, but super coming, super yeah. people gap. Yeah. yeah, yeah, for sure. But I think the future is people coming from lots of different backgrounds, and your you, case in point, people like yourself, coming from maybe not traditional cybersecurity, but it, you know, into this space, bringing with them all the lessons learned and all the stuff that they brought along, and recognize that there's other things to know. But then augmenting, you know, with uh, you know, 30 years of discipline or 25 years of discipline. I don't, didn't really look. But I know you've got a long time uh, of bringing sort of these things. So I think that's the way it's, the West is going to be one, is bringing more people in, not just entry-level people. We need more of those for sure, but bringing also people over you know, laterally from other units uh, or other verticals or industries and bringing all their knowledge with them.
1: Yeah, and of course, you know, automation, machine learning, again, and that's, that's the, uh, the people are absolutely crucial to both developing the solutions and implementing the solutions, but a lot has to rest on, on automation. Um, it's just these these are very sophisticated attackers, as you say, and sophisticated machines doing the attacking, being attacked, and you know, in non real time, people can be can can add value, but in that real time, it's it's got to be automated. You can't have a person on the loop or on the loop, okay, but in the loop, probably not. Just it's not fast enough. That was again, this is this is electronic warfare mindset. Uh, you've got a pilot. They're flying the plane. They're trying to get other things done. They can't be tuning at what frequency uh, their, their radio is, at what frequency their radar is staring. That has to have a lot of capabilities that are autonomous. And first, those capabilities are sort of rudimentary, you know, if A, do number one, if B, do number two. But with machine learning, it's like, okay, for A, B, and C, I know one, two, three. But then I see this new scenario and I can think up this new re- response. I mean, that's that's where it gets really, really cool and really um makes makes people uncomfortable. Like, well, should I trust it?
0: Yep, yeah. Probably. Well, any advice for uh, people, I think you might be in a unique position for people that are um are doing already doing amazing things in different industries and want to come into cybersecurity, any preparatory you know, steps, any things you'd recommend they, they do, uh, you know, it, we, we have not enough people. And so whether that's working at uh, an enterprise or working, uh, you know, at, at an end user that, you know, that needs to become more secure, there's lots and lots of roles that don't currently have people in them. Uh, and we're not gonna fill them all with, you know, people straight out of college. Uh, we're gonna fill them with people that we recruit at all levels. And so for you now working uh, in this realm with the, with the DOD, heavy DOD background, there's other people like you. And this is an exciting, Air, career area, all the stuff going on in cybersecurity, any advice for that, that kind of person?
1: So I think for getting into cyber uh, at any level, as you're saying, I would recommend what worked for me, which is cyber is about cyber, but it's also going to be about other skills that the person may already have. It could be about selling. It could be about writing code. It could be about human resources. I, you know, I, The list goes on. But bringing some some rock steady you know hardened skills and then adapting them extending them to, to also to cyber I think is is a valid uh, way to way to come across because I think everyone acknowledges for a lot of these cyber jobs the perfect person isn't available they're already hired okay so but if you can get a person where oh they have these three non cyber specific skills and I only need to to help them develop that Ford skill that can, I think that's a way that works. And, and I think that's a way for a candidate that's trying to get into cyber to, to leverage the skills they have and to acknowledge, yeah, cyber in particular is a skill I'm going to lo- need to learn, but I have have these other foundational skills that will help me
0: yeah, and, I,
1: help the, and help the employer.
0: Yeah. I think that's, I fundamentally agree with you that there's, there's great uh, great opportunity there. Um, I thought you might talk a little bit about just about embedded systems since that's what you're focused on and sort of define embedded systems for people who are listening who might not really you know fully understand what that is and 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 what its challenges are yeah so
1: embedded systems good to define it this is the definition i use and, and some people are more narrow but basically i use embedded systems as opposed to enterprise systems so embedded systems more focus on real-time, not necessarily a real-time operating system. I include Linux-based, Windows-based in my definition of of embedded systems, but there is a real-time element. There is a out-in-the-field element. That field could be a combat engagement. It could be a factory floor. It could be an airplane. um, So a real-time element, an out-in-the-field element, a less access to to IT cyber support than than an enterprise scenario. Because they're embedded, it's a a specialized piece of equipment, it's specialized hardware, specialized software, took took time to manufacture, probably has longer life, could be an automobile, medical device, weapon system, inductor control system. To me, all of those are in the embedded device, embedded system category, as opposed to the much more commodity in the data center, on the desktop, type enterprise system, bringing cyber to the embedded systems um, in an automated way and in a way that doesn't disrupt, perturb their core functionality is is challenging, and, and that that's it's a really exciting challenge that uh, RunSafe is 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 in, and uh, we've got some we've got some good proof points uh, going, so that's exciting.
0: Yeah, that's then um, those systems are everywhere; they're prevalent.
1: Right, they're prevalent and great to have the cloud and the data center. But you know, now you see, well, oh, can't ship everything back to the cloud. Gonna to have to do processing and decision making and take action at the edge. And so again, the the systems are everywhere. They're very complex, but they they they, they don't turn over as fast, fast as quickly. They don't have that ability to 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 be monitored and and upgraded by IT professionals as quickly as as the as the stuff in, in the enterprise, so it's uh, it's it's an attack surface that gets the attention of the the bad actors and needs needs the protection. Uh, you know, there are unsafe offers and, and, and other folks are, are offering to make it a full yeah. a fully secure system.
0: What other uh, sort of areas are you know exciting? Do you think that uh, people can be looking at um, in cybersecurity? particular, you know, slices of the, you know, huge set of variables, right? And different aspects of things that one can work on. What excites you the most about the future? You know, some cutting edge things or emerging things?
1: You know, Machine learning, it's a probably overused term, but that really fits into that theme I was saying of automation, of of having cyber defense, cyber protection, that's faster than, than humanly possible and real time. So thinking about, machine learning applied to software and I know there are applied to cyber. I know there are lots of smart people thinking that I think that's a cool area. What else would I think about in cyber? Well, we sort of talked about the cloud gets a lot of attention, but I think the edge is going to get a lot of attention too. So what, again, there's lots of implications for the systems on the edge, those embedded systems. needing cyber which is different than the enterprise um maybe i'll think of more but those are a couple uh, yeah in the moment
0: so we talked um, earlier i said i would bring it up around team teams the power of team and you know you, you sort of led with that early on which oh is like, yeah person doesn't hold all the pieces you know that's certainly true in the cybersecurity industry is that we've got to be even better working as teams both not just security people working together sure but people who aren't security people but there's so much nexus there's so many connections to other parts of these of of enterprises and ecosystems uh we've got to build more bridges between people i think
1: Uh, totally agree um and again devops some people call it devsecops that is as much about technology as about organization and teams it's the idea of they're not these siloed functions they're all Working together, interactively, incrementally, to constantly deliver a better product to uh, industry, to the customers. And and so I think cybersecurity needs to be part of of that broader team and needs to really uh, reach out to to the other team people um, and not just be someone who says no. Like, no, this has vulnerabilities, it can't be released. No, no, you know. It's, it's, it's gotta be a, a team member that helps meet the team's objectives. And, you know, if you're trying to influence another team member, keep in mind, what is that team member's objective? How do you help that team member be successful? And along the way, achieve your objective. I mean, that's teams, teams are very powerful, but even in a team, you're talking about help how individuals can be successful for what they want to do, because we're, we're individuals. We all want to be individually successful. Um, as, but as a part of a team is even, is even cooler, I think can have a bigger impact. Um, so it's, again, not just saying no, understanding the perspective and the objectives of your teammates and trying to help them achieve them, but while also being true and, and, uh, and, and moving your, your objectives together uh, as well. Now, of course, there are a lot of contracts people at Raytheon, finance people at Raytheon, uh, and elsewhere who say, Dave, you don't do that, which I'm not perfect. Uh, I've, I've, uh, I've crossed paths with some people in other functions uh, on occasion because, hey, you know, no one's perfect. But, but theoretically, and most of the time, uh, I really do believe in the team and, and believe in that. There can be shared goals, but also those individual goals, trying to help everyone achieve those individual goals.
0: Yeah, I, I think that's, you know, what's ideal and what's easy to do are not always the same thing. So that is the ideal situation. Yeah, it's not always easy to do. But if if more of us are trying to have empathy for a, the other team member, a, a, a contextual no, it's no, but I understand the situation. Here's how we might get to yes. You know, understanding the context. I, I do know some stories of, of cybersecurity even leaders, you know, who've been called on the carpet, uh, you know, one one story just sticks in my head without going into the details. It was essentially, uh, you know, very a board member asking a very senior executive, "Do you understand how we make money? Do you understand right. how this works?" Yeah,
1: right. And- no, and I think that is that is a real frustration that can that can be uh, hurled at at cybersecurity. Um yeah. and and that's why right. So understanding the business and framing those those as you were saying no buts uh, putting the context in
0: uh,
1: is is important to be an effective part of any team uh right and i think i might have said to a contracts person do you know what business we're in uh, i think uh, I, I i don't think it was very effective um but uh that was the best i had in the in the moment
0: oh wait, yeah yeah so that a good lead to, you know, a question I, like, I always like to ask. If you have to go back uh, and talk to, uh, you know, Dave Salwin, uh you know, vintage 1995, what advice, uh, you know, would you give Dave? Oh, well, I, I
1: don't know, 1995. But um, I think uh, just in general, taking more risks. For me, you know, who tends towards tactics and and tasks rather than than vision and and long-term strategy Uh, taking risks is something I need to to specifically do Um, and it takes energy you've got to really say well what what is the risk I want to take how do I get the opportunity to take that risk and I think uh, easier earlier career to take these risks but that's what I say to me and that's also what I say to the the early career, um, cause I know that's sort of a theme of yours. So I'm working that in take, take risks. Uh, and then I'll segue into my second point, have, have a good, good boss. boss. I'd say those, I, I've been fortunate to have a lot of good bosses. Uh, so that's not advice to younger me, but that's advice to early stagers. Take
0: risks, have a good boss. Is the that get out from under it, whatever you have to do, bad ones.
1: Yes. I, I I think that's true. I mean, uh, and it goes back to my bias for that. I think management is important, uh, and and good management can really help all types of people flourish and and be their best and learn new things. And and bad management can really suppress that. And and again, that you got to have energy to to take risks and get out from from a bad manager um, in the right way. Don't. You know, as my dad said, don't don't quit a job until you have your next one. Come on. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. But but uh, but but taking risks, moving when you when you have to in the right way. Yeah, that's uh, good, good advice for, for, I think, early stage and, and risk taking is advice I still give myself.
0: Yeah, no, I, I think that is good advice. And there's there's echoes of that same advice with other guests as we've gone through this this arc of interviewing so many different people about their career journey those things come up, those themes come up, um, and, and people feel those as well and say, ah, this is, you know, this is true. And, and, and somebody recently was talking about the idea of, yeah, don't leave abruptly, don't like honor your commitments, but ultimately don't stay in a dead, a deadening, not just about bosses, but a deadening non, not good for you, not what you want to do role, find the one that you want. And, and even inside cybersecurity, that's possible to be doing something else and still in this exciting industry. Oh, right. Yeah. If you don't want to code anymore, you really don't like coding, but you understand it because you did it for years, you can go to other parts of cybersecurity and it will be a huge benefit that you understand how that works.
1: No. And, and when I say taking risks, they, they could be, to your point, very incremental. It's, it's yeah, don't throw away cybersecurity to become an author. That Maybe that will work, but that that's not the kind of risk I'm talking about. I'm like more your risk of, hey, um, you're in this company doing role A, maybe role A prime or even role B, again, take, you know, some of what you have will, will uh, apply to that new role and get in a new role, maybe with a new boss and, and keep going from there. Um, maybe it's the same role appointed, you know, at a different customer set. So there's going to be a lot of learning uh, there, which is, which is, you know, a good kind of incremental risk taking.
0: And and my read of many on the side of good employers uh, is that you're you're typically not stuck. There is mobility. Uh, I mean it, that varies from company to company and obviously resources. But in general, good employees are willing to work with good employees. Good employers with good employees to try new things and do new things. Uh, and and they don't want to lose good people. And so speak up and yep. figure out a way to communicate the the, the journey you want to you don't want to be on. You can uh, you know life's too short to do otherwise. Oh
1: it, well. When uh, when I was at SAIC, you know, running this, this group of engineers, uh, they, they were a smart group. They were doing DARP work and had clearances, and it was explicitly known they could have a new job by the end of the week, and it was Wednesday. So, you know, as a manager, yes, you know, giving them uh, the autonomy to go master things that they were interested in was, was, was huge it t- towards retaining um which is that is the the phrase i keyed off of a, for that little segue
0: and and you know before we we start to wrap up when you talk about some of the stuff you did the scale like the little activity i know one of them at saic was 500 600 people and a couple hundred million in uh, in. yeah the,
1: yeah but it's it's again it it uh well the the most interesting thing as as i was running bigger groups in in SAIC was um it was really harder it got harder and harder at the end of the day to say what the heck I did uh because you know again I was helping my team be effective but that was very fluid and and hard to pin down um, and you know you don't you don't have a a, a tight to-do list it's it's subject to change the, the second you walk in the door and and just dealing um with different human predicaments, again, uh, things that come up because we're humans, as opposed to, to just dealing with uh, technology, which can be more more uh, black and white. Yeah,
0: well, thank you for sharing your story and some of your insights, uh, Dave. We're um, at the part of the show I always enjoy. I have borrowed uh, Lock, Stock, and Barrel from another show, Inside the Actor Studio, which I watched for years, years ago, and and, and loved the, the the longtime host, who's now passed on, James Lipton. He always asked all the famous actors and actresses that were being interviewed the same 10 questions, which was he called the Pavot Questionnaire. So I went and looked it up. He got it from a French show, hence the name. And so it's the exact same as far as I like, know, the exact same 10 questions, uh, more or less for, I think, for many decades. And so if you're up for it, I'll ask you the same 10 questions uh, on, uh, to end our, our time together.
1: Well, you said it's your standard. So I guess by definition, I'm up for it. But I'm not an actor. So I.
0: Uh...
1: These, these answers will not be nearly as good uh, as as the actors, but uh, All I'll, right. I'll, maybe, maybe I'll fake some of them to, to get, get through them.
0: All right. love. you're ready, what is your favorite word?
1: Favorite word
0: is persistence. What is your least favorite word? Easy. What turns you on either creatively, spiritually, or emotionally? Problem solving. What turns you off? Lack of options. What is your favorite curse word?
1: Shit. Yeah. And that, 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 the origin of that is, uh, you know, George Carlin and, and some of his routines on, uh, you know, seven words you can't say on the radio and all that. Uh, I, I could, I could talk about this question for a lot longer, but I'll let you get on to number six.
0: What sound or noise do you love?
1: Oh, well, I love, uh, skis going through fresh powder. That's a beautiful sound.
0: What sound or noise do you hate?
1: Oh, that's also easy. The, the planes that, now fly out of National over over D.C. at starting at six a.m. That's very uncool.
0: What profession other than your own would you like to attempt?
1: Oh well, as a kid, you know there there are two professions that that attracted boys. I went with garbage collector. Uh, I I don't want to do that anymore, mostly. Although kind of still maybe want to do that one. Uh, so garbage collector. Um yeah and I'll still go with the other one race car driver yeah both of those they're still they're still with me what profession would you not like to do oh my gosh uh all these tough professions restaurant uh hotel you know uh check-in person oh gosh just the abuse they have to take is just awful and uh yeah it just you watch someone else do it, and that's a reminder of just how awful it is and how bad the person looks doing it. And that's kept me from doing it for, for, for a few years now. So.
0: And if heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? Welcome, Dave. <laughs> Short and sweet. Welcome. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Well, uh, thank you. I am just wrapping up another great CC podcast with Dave. Salwin, the VP of Embedded Systems at RunSafe Security, and thank you, Dave, for all your years uh, in, in defense. I know that cybersecurity is is uh, intersected with your life later, but defense goes decades back, and we've all benefited from that. At least that's my viewpoint as a veteran, so thank you for that, and um, thank you for coming on the show and being part of our community.
1: Super, Derek. Happy to do it, and uh, hope this podcast comes out really well.
0: I'm sure it will. Take care and be well.